0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 22. This week, we talk with Brandon Martinez about his experiences using Azure Mobile Services, the new Nokia-sized iPhone, what is the killer smartwatch app, visualizing algorithms through animations, and Carl won't stop talking about Sidewaffle. In the right corner of my Skype window, I have Carl, the new phone every week, Schweitzer. How's it going, Carl?
1: Uh, Pretty good. I wish (laughs) I had a new phone every week. That would be awesome.
0: (laughs) Every time I see you, have a new phone. What do you What are you rocking right now? Right now, I have the uh, Lumia nine
1: twenty eight from Verizon. Okay, and it's actually my own personal one that I bought only because at the time that's the only phone they offered. So, yeah, uh, I have that, and uh, as you know, I have a plethora of other phones, but uh, <laughs> not quite every week, but nearly.
0: Is there a, Is there a different word for like a, a group of phones, like a gaggle of phones or a heap of phones, or is it plethora?
1: Right now it's a plethora. I guess we'll go with that for now.
0: Okay, sounds good. And then in my left corner of Skype, I have a friend of the show, a super guy, and master at answering obscure questions, Brandon Martinez.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I asked you uh, what were, we were working on. Uh, it was uh, uh, REST. Was it REST Sharp? Yeah. And I I had some obscure questions on that, and I was that was pretty impressive.
2: But we got it. So let's
0: jump. Yeah, we got it. We got it all figured out. Yeah, we didn't really like the answer, but we got it figured out. So let's uh, let's jump into the news. So actually, the first news story here is about a project that I've been working on, and actually, it's about my whole team. So you know, why not talk about it? So this was actually this was pretty cool because this was a Mary Jo Foley article, and she was talking about the TED team within Microsoft. So I get a lot of questions about you know what does our team do. And if you if you go to this, we'll have a link in the in the show notes. It talks about what the the Ted team does. We're part of the the DX group, if anybody knows what that is. That's the uh, developer group or the uh, evangelist group within Microsoft. Um, and then we have Ted, which is a little bit uh, specifically focused on, um, you know, like uh, global ISVs and, and all this of stuff. Mary Jo Foley does a, a lot better job explaining it. So I'm not going to jump into all of that. But go check out her article. She links back to sort of the original article whenever Ted was being formed. And then she also links to a project that I work with uh, on uh, with Skyline Technologies. And that's where uh, Brandon works as well as myself. Oh, and Carl and Carl. (laughs) Don't forget about Carl. Um, So actually this weekend, Carl, we were working together on this. So that was pretty cool. Yep. Long time. Uh, No see. Yep. Yep. So you should be able to go out and the, one of the first links in here is is actually a link to a manufacturing project we're working on, which is a an open source set of uh, samples that sort of form this framework for you know how to do uh, manufacturing data collection, ingest, and those types of things. So if you want to learn more about uh, about the team and what we do, go check that out. I just thought it was uh, it's just pretty cool to be in an article like that. You know, I'm not obviously not named specifically, but to have my team. And some of the projects we're working on, and some of the really cool stuff that we do, I just thought that was pretty neat.
1: Although you weren't named specifically, there is a link directly to your GitHub pages, so that's nearly that, as good. That
0: was that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Got a little bit more traffic than normal on my on my GitHub pages. Um. Okay. So let's talk about the thing that we uh, pretty much have to talk about since it was really the the news of the week. This uh, uh, Apple Watch and uh and also I, I i don't know if you saw the the title that i put in here carl i said the iphone going nokia sized yep
1: well I, I noticed that you had a tweet going out this week where you had placed <laughs> you must have placed uh, a picture of an ios background on an on your lumia 1520 and then yeah. you took a picture of it right next to your wife's iphone
0: yeah yeah i don't want to you know i i don't want to sound bitter about the whole apple thing like i I've always been excited about the Apple announcements and I, you know, I watched it cause it, that, that, that kind of stuff really excites me. But honestly, they were going through the the list of specs on this thing and what it's capable of. And I just couldn't help but think in the back of my mind, you know, like as they were checking these things off, you know, my 1520, which has been out for how long's that thing been out since December, since December. So we're coming up on a year that this thing's been out and uh, which, I mean, it, it had insane specs whenever it first came out but it's it's holding up. I mean, it's holding its own against, you know, the latest Apple product and the latest Apple product has to go yet another year. So it's pretty impressive that you could take a Lumia 1520 from last December and it's really the same class of of Apple device that you're going to see, you know, a year from now.
1: Yeah, I'm not normally one to defend Apple, but Apple kind of really always has been a company where you, you can look at the specs and compare it against everything else, but mm-hmm. really their products are more than the sum of their their pieces. Yeah, and um, I think I'd like to hear your opinion, Brandon, about this because, well, one, I know you've already pre-ordered them, and you, you're you're one who's always been in the iPhone system. So, you know, what was this announcement like for for you from your point of view? That's a that's a
2: really good question um, because. I kind of asked myself that after the announcement. <laughs> uh, what does this mean to me? Exactly. And I sat there for hours just thinking about it. And you would, no, but uh so it's it's really interesting cuz uh so for one, so that the, the Nokia sized phone comment, um mm-hmm. for the longest time I was very much just against larger phones in general, the uh the phablet as the term is going yep. now. Um but honestly, I ordered the 6 Plus. And <laughs> it just, I felt wrong doing it, but uh, uh, Ars technica released a, a PDF where you could print them out to scale more or less. So you can cut mm-hmm. it out, holding your hand and see. And um, I, I think the way Apple approaches this is they they really don't do something until they're set on it. They know it's the right way to go. And I think just the, the, the market demand and the fact that um you know that we're getting to a point where these larger displays look amazing i i think they finally came to to realize this is the moment and tim cook even mm-hmm. said like you know yeah we could have done this years ago you know it's it's just a bigger screen and you know whatever drives it so uh for me it's it's one of those things where you know i've had iPhones since the 3g uh and just moving through this progression it it just starts to make more sense you can't take mm-hmm. it as a, a single standalone event. It really is the sum of its past.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- I'm hoping to get a little bit less fa- flack now over the size of my phone. Cause I, I'll have people look at it like, what is that? And then they, they put it in their hand and they hold up their ear and they're like, ah, look how stupid I look. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that the, those comments are going to stop. And then I always have to answer the question, uh, you know, where do you store that? And it's like, it fits in my pocket with no problem. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a reasonably sized guy. Um, I guess if you had like really small pants with really small pockets, it might be an issue, but, uh, honestly the thing fits just fine in my pockets. And then the, the iPhone, even the six plus I think is, uh, next to it is, is just a smidge smaller. So I think it's a non-issue. And then Carl, you know, your comment about the, you know, Apple, the, the sum of his parts, you know, I agree with that. One, one thing that they, that they really, one, one place where that really, um, they could show that off for me was back in the early days, whenever they had, you know, low end, very, very low end hardware compared to what we have now. I mean, they've said that the, the original iPhone was what a 50th as fast as the current iPhone. But even at that time, they had this super smooth scrolling. Like they mastered being able to scroll and have it look like it was just a sheet of paper behind glass, just, just moving. And Android was terrible at that for years. And, um, eventually android figured out how to do it and then windows phone when it came out i believe even the the first you know windows phone 7 i remember looking at that and i was like hey somebody else was actually able to do this in fact i think they did it before android did and now we have you know now it's something we take for granted but but it is like those touches like that where where they pay more attention i think they can squeeze more performance out of those devices yeah. i think you're right there
1: and, and going back to your comments on the size too i remember Back when what we have now is as a common size, that was considered huge at one point. Um, back earlier in the year, I had gotten some uh, loaner fifteen twenties uh, for a personal review, and when people would see me with them, they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's huge!" Mm-hmm. But then when you when you actually give it to them, and that's when they're like, "Oh, I get it now. This it it's huge because it's different. It's I don't have a frame of view, you know." to imagine what it could do and what its possibilities are until I get it in my hand, hold it, realize that, yeah, I might not be able to do the thumb all over in the opposite corner thing, but if I, it can still fit in my life. Yeah. I think uh, a really good comparison on that.
2: Uh, that's a really good point. Um, and granted, this isn't a personal device, but if you think about TV screen sizes and mm-hmm. just what you've come to expect is the norm, you walk into someone's living room and you see like a 60 inch TV Nowadays, it's like, oh, that's, that's a relatively good sized TV. Um, but you know, go back 10 years, you walk in, you're like, geez, you have like a theater in here. Um, mm-hmm. and now, you know, giant screen TVs are pushing a hundred inches. So it's, it's yeah. just this relative relationship we have with, with technology and their form factors.
1: Plus, yeah. I, I personally think too, that as we're going to larger phones, the reason why we're seeing less tablet sales is people are finding a way to use their phones in the way that they were using the tablets. For a while. And when I I have a large phone on me, I do not use a tablet at all. Whereas if Mm -hmm. I have a smaller phone with me, I I still feel the need for a tablet.
0: So I I don't have a tablet anymore. I just have, I have the Surface Pro 3, which is my you know, you could call that my tablet, but it's my laptop. It's everything. That's my computer. And then I have my 1520 and that's it. That's all I need.
1: I think it's a great way to having a larger phone is a great way to just reduce one more device from our lives.
0: So I don't recall is is office available for iPhone or is it just on the iPad? You know, Brandon?
1: That's
2: a I I don't sure. remember. That's a really good
0: question. <laughs> because on these bigger screens, um it starts to make sense, you know, things like office are definitely become more and more usable on the on the bigger screens for the for the phone, so that's why I was asking. Well, anyway, I don't want to dwell on, on this since it's, you know, our, our primary audience that we're targeting is really developers, but I do want to talk about the Apple watch a little bit. And I, cause I have a little bit of a developer angle on this. And I, I guess, first of all, my, I was, I was actually pretty excited about the Apple watch. I was pretty convinced that they were going to come out of, of, with a watch that I was going to say, yes, I have to go buy this. And To be honest, they came out with it and and I'm actually not putting it down at all. I looked at it and I'm like, you know, I actually don't really need that. And right now I have I have a Fitbit on my arm and and actually it's it's all banged up and scratch because, you know, I like to I don't just build software. I like to build physical things in the real world. And uh, I don't know, I end up smashing this thing and ends up popping off multiple times in the day whenever I ram it into stuff. So I'm a little bit worried about putting something expensive on my arm, but I was one thing I was thinking about today was the fact that uh, my phone actually has more useful insights than than my Fitbit. Anyway, I, I've I've been looking at that more and more. Um, I don't I actually you know, the, the fitness things like we've sort of gotten used to those being on a wrist. I don't think they need to be on our wrist. I think those can be on the phone. So I don't know what your thoughts are.
1: I only was able to kind of half watch the Apple Watch you you know, know. demos, but there are sensors on the watch that are able to get additional information That kind of, you kind of have to be in one of those more sensitive spots. It's not like you're going to, you know, have your phone like tap to your neck or on your wrist at any given time to get (laughs) that stuff. So, until there's a way to get that, you know, there still needs to be some sort of accessory that gets that kind of detail. But to Mm -hmm. your point, most people keep their phone in their pocket or on their belt or in some way like that, in which Mm -hmm. case it knows whether you're moving, it knows whether it's, in fact your phone can know whether it's sitting on a desk somewhere it can right. know what if you're sitting around if you're fidgeting if you're very active if you're kind of active um i know when i go out running i carry my phone with me mm-hmm. so um and brandon i know you you do uh you map your rides uh, when you go biking so there's a lot of i mean people carry their phones everywhere so mm-hmm. the phone if it has the right sensors and the right people hooking into those sensors it can have nearly all the data that we need
0: yeah yeah i could see the 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 band providing like heart rate or maybe some other things but even that i think is it's always a challenging doing you know heart rate from your from your wrist but uh i don't know i it, it the one thing that i thought it was useful for you know is is i just see all those features moving over to my phone and honestly the the most useful thing that i found on this fitbit is the clock Uh, believe it or not and 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 the worst part is you you have to push a button you know to turn on the clock on it so i don't know that's one thing i didn't catch out of the apple watch event if there's if you actually have to touch it
1: no they said it it detects when you're lifting your watch up okay and then as it detects that motion it turns it on
0: okay yeah because i was uh i don't know where i was the other day but i didn't know what time it was and both my hands were full and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to find that out, you know, because you can't and without putting something down, I couldn't. I even though I could see my Fitbit, it would not tell me what time it was. So, I to, to, for me, I want something that's like super thin, maybe has some of those extra sensors, and 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 I'm not sure what it is. So, one thing I wanted to do with our audience, I wanted to, um, you know, put a challenge out there. What is the killer app? Because we have we have a whole bunch of developers listening, and you know, we have, I uh, you know, you Brandon so what you know what would be the the killer app and what i told carl i said i said we have you know these gift cards to give away um they expire pretty soon um email us at uh, feedback at ms dev show with your your killer app idea and if we uh if we hear one that we really like we'll we'll pick the best one and we'll talk about it on the uh, next show and we'll give you a uh one of these uh what is that a five dollar gift certificate to the windows store carl correct perfect um, so let's, let's see if we can figure out what the killer app is. That's, that's going to make it so that I'm going to say, Hey, I, I, you know, I gotta have a, a smartwatch on.
1: And, and to be clear, it's any smartwatch. It doesn't have to be the Apple watch yeah, and Android. Yeah. Just, you know, w- what makes sense to have as an app running on a watch?
0: Yeah. What would convince me that I, that I need that type of watch on my wrist at all times? Um, oh, and then one other thing I want to mention, you said you were half watching the, uh, the stream. Um, I don't. I don't even know if you could half watch the stream because there was uh, so many streaming issues. There was like a food truck schedule and then uh, people speaking Chinese. It was really confusing. And uh, I was actually amusing watching some of the the tech press, you know, try to watch that stream and, and make sense of it. But uh, one thing I did want to mention, you know, because I work on Azure quite a bit, it would have been trivial. You know, obviously they could, Apple should have hired a company that knows what they're doing and could have pulled this off without a hitch. But I started thinking about Azure media services and how you can you can give Azure media services um, a a local stream and have it rebroadcast. And this is the technology was used behind the Olympics. I think it was used for the Super Bowl and and it's accessible to anybody. I mean, you could literally put in that stream and use that for your streaming and scale that up to an Apple sized audience. I mean, there's speculation that Apple was actually uh, restricting that, you know, they've been restricting these things to Apple only devices uh, just so that they could limit the traffic in some way. Um, Let me see here. Anything else on that one? Should we move on? Anything else to say?
1: No, but the next topic does relate to uh, the Apple Watch. Okay. So the technology behind the Apple Watch is really this tokenization service that credit card companies have developed uh, over the last couple of years. And it's re- essentially what powers these Apple Watch payments. And mm-hmm. Visa has announced that now that Apple is using it in Forest, that it's gonna be an open standard that anybody can develop against. So it's not going to be just something that Apple can offer. So this is actually pretty exciting because Microsoft, Google, and even any random developer that you know wants to try to, they can develop the code that takes advantage of this service in order to do this same style of payments. So
0: okay. So my question is, this is just as a consumer this is a little frustrating. Why why did everybody have to wait for Apple to do this before we did this? They they didn't invent anything new.
1: They they <laughs> didn't invent any new anything new, but a lot of times they're the ones that go through those relationships with these yeah. companies or figure out how to bypass those relationships. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just frustrating. I mean, Google and Microsoft in the past, they've tried working with the carriers but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's obvious that the carriers have been huge roadblocks for any kind of innovation that they can't monetize.
0: Yeah. I suppose if they say, Hey, you, you just can't ship this with this device, but you know, what about making it just an app you could download? So you ship it without that. I just know that in, in there's, there's a lot of other countries where they just, it's a norm to use their phone as, as a payment system. I mean, it's, we already use them for, you know, second factor authentication because it's something that you actually have to have in your possession. And I, I, it's just been frustrating that that with all the technology that we have, that finally this is happening. And now, I mean, we're going to have to wait a year, two years for this to, to really be rolled out. I mean, I already, um, you know, I already have an NFC tag. I got an NFC tag with my credit card four years ago, five years ago, maybe. And they give me this little sticker to attach to my phone. Well, of course, my phone it never, I don't have a phone for the exact period that I have the same credit card, you know, before they sent, they send me another one. And I don't feel like sitting there and, you know, putting this goofy sticker on there every single time, but they've had NFC payments forever. Um, so I don't know why they've never allowed you to sort of bring your own, you know, NFC and, and authentic, you know, have an authentication scheme. Um, so I'm glad that this is happening. Um, and this is pretty cool that it's, that it's going to be a little bit more universal.
2: I think one of the, uh, One of the issues we're going to be facing with it, though, is, uh, so since so many companies have tried to do this, right? And they try to have this global payment system, uh, you get companies like, uh, uh, Walmart was the, the one that day one denounced using Apple Pay. And they're the the number one retailer in the U.S. (laughs) So now what, right? You have the, you have the world's, uh, was it, they're like the world's largest business, Apple, uh, fighting with the number one retailer. So, you know, who wins in this situation, you know, not the consumer. So, well,
0: Walmart's going to lose. I guarantee that yeah. because, because guess what's going to happen. You, me, Carl, and more importantly, like everybody else, every time they go in the Walmart, they to be like, Oh, do you have, you know, do you accept, uh, I, I don't want to call it Apple pay. Do you, do you accept, you know, t- tap to pay or or whatever it is, you know, whatever the generic name is ultimately going to be, you know, like, do you support this? And they're going to say, no, well, how come you don't support this? The cashiers are going to get fed up and that's going to work its way up to corporate. Um, so, you know, mark my words, it's going to happen. I don't, I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm not going to say it's going to be six months, but that's ultimately what's going to happen. But like McDonald's already has this, you know, nationwide uh, BP stations have it. Um, the grocery store I I shop at already has it. Um, I I see, I actually see it at a lot of different places and, and, just to, just to give you an idea of how long I've, I've had that tap to pay. Um, I went into, uh, um, you know, my grocery store when I first got it and I did that and, and the cashier said, what did you just do? And I, I just paid for it. And they're like, well, you didn't swipe your card. And I had to explain how it worked to them. And then, uh, that happened at McDonald's as well. I did that. And they're like, I, I was tapping it and, and they go, you have to swipe your card. And I was like, uh, it, it, you have the little logo here. And, and they're like, Oh, it says you paid for it. And they were, I mean, they were absolutely baffled as to what was going on. So, so fortunately the technology is not that new, but like I said, people are, people are going to start demanding it once, you know, once this gets out of the, uh, just the techies. And I think that, that is one thing that Apple really brings to the table is you get tons of people that don't even really understand the tech that have the phone and are like, Hey, Apple told me I was going to be able to do this and Walmart's telling me different. So I'm just going to throw a fit. <laughs> move on so what's up next carl uh just a, a
1: quick note that OneDrive cloud storage now supports files that are individually 10 gigabytes up to okay um before that wasn't and a lot of people complained uh about it so if you're one of those developers that like storing like i don't know vhds in your <laughs> in your cloud storage
0: i was gonna say what you know because it used to be a two gig limit what you know other than like a movie um, I, I
1: think movies were a big one, but yeah. you know, myself personally, you know, I I never have stored VHDs. I just throw them directly into my Azure storage. But um, yeah, I might want to put those there.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm going to assume if I put a 10 gig file in my OneDrive, it's going to take a few minutes to upload. <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. Now well, let's move on. Yep. Uh, Microsoft makes scaling WordPress on Azure easier.
1: Yep. Um, I thought this was kind of cool Um, mm-hmm. because uh, it's a TechCrunch article and they put a quote in here. I'm not sure if this is entirely true, but they say almost a quarter of all the sites out there are WordPress sites. And wow. when, when you think about it that way, um, being able to have uh, a website that's scalable um, is huge. And if you want to put something in Azure, uh, they now have uh, tools to help just make your wordpress more robust when you throw it on an azure website
0: yeah they mentioned in here something about um and you could do this for years by the way with i mean you could you could install wordpress in azure just by pushing a button Mm -hmm. um they always made it easy but now it looks like what they're doing is they're putting like the assets all the uh, binaries all the um you know scripts and the pictures and all that they're using uh I don't know if they're using blob. It sounds like they're using blob storage. Oh, yeah, right here. They're using uh, Azure blob storage. storage for storing all media assets. And I'm curious too, because what you can do is you can put a CDN or content distribution network in front of that, and that will um, you know, cache those files at the edge. So if you're requesting a WordPress site that's in the US, but you're in Japan, you know, it'll pull it from the Japan CDN so that those files come, you know, they're they're right next to you. So this is pretty cool. I think they're just doing some optimizations around this because yep. WordPress does not scale well out of the box because by by default there's no caching it's generating every page on demand um and then you know it whatever server is actually running it has to serve up all those assets so this is a big deal
1: and it also mentions that it's already wiring in azure media services um by default for that so um if you have you know streaming content or have any kind of you know content protection you might might want to do that's kind of baked in there now yeah I th- oh, that's cool. I think it's fantastic that
2: uh that they're pushing, you know, these these open source solutions uh especially when, you know, like you said, a quarter of all websites out there are WordPress and I've heard numbers that are are bigger than that. Um I personally use WordPress on Azure and uh Jason the point you make about caching uh mm-hmm. it's a pain. It is uh even following like some of the most standard installations uh, because a lot of the plugins out there assume you're going to be on an Apache server, um, mm-hmm. you know you have to do some interesting things with web config and uh, just getting it integrated is uh, is kind of a hassle in and of itself. So to see something more focused towards the enterprise, uh, especially when you have you know default blob storage and all that in there, is really nice to see.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned this before, but the the irony of of WordPress, I mean, it's it's primarily a, a read only thing. But what ends up happening is you, you take a dynamic site and to actually get it to perform well, you apply so much caching that it turns it into a static site. And that's one of the reasons why I'm actually just running a set, a static site. And then for comments, I have to do some dynamic stuff, but it's easier to add a lit, a touch of dynamic to a static site than to add, you know, a ton of staticness to a dynamic site. Responding to app reviews can talk about this, Carl. Yep.
1: So at build last spring, uh, Microsoft announced that they were going to be allow- allowing uh, developers to respond to users' reviews and at the time they immediately allowed this feature for a uh, small portion of the developers and just recently all of the developers now have this enabled. So in order to actually respond to a review that was left, you go to your dev center um, you do need to push an update to your app and um, not the actual app itself, but just metadata with um, the email that you will get responded to. Because now that you can respond to somebody, they will, of course, it will send them an email and it will put that email address as uh, the person to respond to to take it offline. But -hmm. what's nice, if if you got a bad review because somebody didn't understand your app or if somebody made a feature request and they rated it low because they really wanted that feature, you can you know implement that feature and say hey I just added that you want to check it you know want to check it out again. It gives you a little bit more um, ways to improve your your star rating. We all want five stars, and yeah, it, the star rating is the currency of mobile apps. So here, um, there's an article here from Microsoft that kind of gives you good etiquette on what to do when uh, responding to your users. And um, as a reminder, if if you're rude to your users and and stuff like that, this is a capability that will be taken away from just you.
0: <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I I love the stats in here. Uh, tw- uh, since the launch, almost 20% of all developers have responded to at least one customer review. Uh, 10.5% of customers update their app review after receiving a developer response. And then I love this. This is this is the clincher right here. Developers are seeing an average increase of Uh, in of 1.2 stars in their app rating when they use this capability to respond to questions and inform customers of updates to their app that is that's that's pretty huge so this will increase your rating which will get you more users
1: yep i think this is outstanding and if you have an app in either the windows phone or the windows store uh check it out uh push that little update with your email address and interact with your users in another way that you didn't have before
0: Yeah, I think you you have to respond to the to the bad ratings now, because, you know, I've I've seen this whenever I've searched for hotels, I think on like TripAdvisor and you'll have, you know, a couple bad reviews like, oh, this person was rude to me. And I love it when when the manager comes on there and they're like, yeah, we fired that person and we've done this, this and this to fix this. And I don't read that anymore as a bad review. I actually read that. I'm like, well, they they are they care. So, you know, I, I sort of like remove that from that list mentally and then I keep going through and a lot of these companies will reviewed, you know, they'll go through and they'll respond to every single one. And I think that says a lot. Brandon, do you know if iOS does this? I don't recall.
2: I I don't know if you can, you can respond. Um, okay. It would be nice. Uh, Cause there's a lot of times where I've, I try to write reviews. I as, mm-hmm. just, as a, a consumer uh, Yeah. and it would be nice. There's a lot of instances where it's like, you know, this feature's broken, broken, or, um, you know, the feature request, like Carl said, it'd be nice to actually hear something back. So I yeah. think it's great that they're, they're pushing forward with that.
0: Okay. Yeah. I, I was kind of curious if this was uh, unique to the platform or not, but either way, it's a good idea. It's pretty cool. Uh, Carl, why you gotta be slowing me down? Yeah. What's this next one,
1: th- th- this, I just thought was hilarious. Um,
0: <laughs> so the
1: onion you know, they're, they're a parody news site. They actually wrote a plugin. in It's on GitHub called Comcastify.js. And this slows down the image loads like they were in the mid to late 90s where you could watch the images just scroll on in and render line by line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think it's funny. It's hilarious. It's right up their alley. And mm-hmm. it's they also put this as with a note on there. Hey, we're hiring. Um, just shows you, you know, you know they're a little bit witty they shows you they're smart they we want devs that are just as interesting as us yeah so i i don't know how useful this is but it sure made me chuckle so
0: actually i'm kind of curious i want to look at the source code and see how they're doing that i mean did what is the actual mechanic to slow that down they <laughs> must um actually they they must not slow down the download right it must just be the display of the image i
1: i would imagine i think yeah. it is the
2: display i think they're uh, just pretty much like white boxing it over and okay. Just slowly removing it.
0: That's hilarious. the The trick is like the when I first saw it, I did a right click, open a new tab, <laughs> and you can see the it just fine. So I <laughs> uh, I intentionally made it frustrating for me, and then made it unfrustrating. Uh, and then this last one was one that I found. Uh, I think it's called Visual Go. Because um, the it's funny because the casing on the site is vis, visu algo.
1: Yeah, so visual algorithm is yeah, really what for, it's yep, short for. for. Visual
0: algorithm, but uh, it's it's interesting because they they you know they make it. There's like two different uh, pronunciations of the site because if uh, whenever you grab like the title of the of the uh, on on the main page there and you take it out, that the whoever designed the page, if you look at the source code, typed it as visual go. So I don't know, just a mystery. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this site is really 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 awesome. Um, it's got a whole bunch of different algorithms out here. So sorting, as an example, if I click into that one, it's got um, all the different uh, sort algorithms. So bubble, selection, insertion, merge, quick, random quick, counting, and radix. And I can go in here, and you can you can hit sort, and there's some options on it, and it will like visually sort in front of you. But what's cool too is it shows it shows some uh, some code at the bottom, and it actually walks you through the code as it's sorting. And uh, what other algorithms are in here? So there's sort, bit mask, linked list, binary trees. So sort of all the, you know, all these low level programming constructs. This is just really, really cool. If you haven't seen this, you got to check this out.
1: Yeah, this is something I really wish that would have been there when I was going through these courses in school, because they just make it, you know, what is you're supposed to learn come to life. And like you said, having that each step being done visually with the images on the sorts themselves as well as the pseudocode lining up being highlighted with this is the step we're going through in code mm-hmm. that just really makes these things clear so if you want to go over you know what are you know the different types of sorting or graph traversals or you know you're working with trees or networking i mean this is a really cool way to visualize that and just make it concrete in your head and if you yeah. are in school you know, this is just gold
0: yeah, then the, those the people that are in school right now are a lot luckier than than we are. You know, this was like chalk or dry erase marker of a professor explaining these things badly. And this is this is really amazing. Did you look at this one, Brandon? Uh no, I did not. Oh, it's really really cool. Definitely check this one out. Um so that one you kind of have to see. So we'll leave that up to the uh to the listener to check that out. So let's get to Brandon. So what do you want to talk about today, Brandon?
2: All right. Well, uh <laughs> I thought I'd come on here and uh just talk about Azure Mobile Services a bit. And okay. uh just as a it's a it's a newer Azure offering um and by newer I mean it was introduced in end of 2012, but uh the .net version, uh, the .net backend uh just got fully released recently. Um mm-hmm. so just kind of what I've experienced using it. Uh I've developed a few uh solutions using it both for work and personal and just kind of dig
0: into that. Okay, is that any good? So far, I'm uh, <laughs>
2: I'm actually really liking it. Uh, on the okay. whole, it is it is pretty good to work with. Um so just uh I guess a quick explanation on what it is. Yeah. Um the best description I can give it is it's a extremely nice wrapper around a lot of the services that are already there in Azure. Um so the the main premise is is that uh, so as the name implies it's meant for mobile devices to easily connect to a backend get data store data um but at the same time also provide awesome features like push notifications uh just that real time streaming offline support uh pretty much everything you expect out of a today's mobile application um and that spans iOS Android Windows phone uh it can actually even tap into
1: web applications using HTML5 can you elaborate on any of these projects that you've been working on? How have you used Azure Mobile Services in them? Sure. Uh, so uh, one that I'm
2: actually working on for Skyline, uh, we uh, we started it actually, so we were using the JavaScript backend in this one. Um, it started off as an iOS application. So it was just a, a way to quickly create a backing store for some data that we just needed to show up. Really simple uh, domain structure and... Uh, off of that, uh, we started another project in order to, uh, to be able to manage the data. So what that was, was an MVC application, um, that we would then hit against the mobile service. And just to keep all the business logic and business rules there that were already written in JavaScript, we just interact directly with the mobile service. So, uh, from that, you know, we were able to, um, you know, throw it up in Azure websites, uh, add the authentication in there for who's allowed to, um, you know, edit it. Uh, and now we have essentially an Azure mobile services editor that we can give to people internally. Um, so that was using the JavaScript backend. Uh, the .NET backend, which I'm working on a project personally, um, so if, if listeners don't know, I also uh, have a, a side photography business. Um, I wanted a way to be able to collect client information um, and then also be able to manage uh, user forms so like a model release or, um, you know, just be able to have them sign off uh, and at the same time store a signature. Well, uh, I didn't want to build a full application that only I'm going to use. So for me, the quickest thing is a web app. Um, so I, I'm already making pretty good progress on it. And I'll probably open source it as well, um, you know, so that the user can like actually sign on my mobile device or tablet. It grabs the the values of that the s v. g from the canvas and it sends it to mobile services uh and it's an easy way to store it and then anytime I need information uh the beauty of mobile services is that I can just make a a rest request you know via json or what have you uh and pull down all of that data or if i want to cheat uh, I have a SQL database behind it, I can just log in and you know do a SQL dump and use the data as I please.
0: yeah, it's pretty slick for that kind of stuff. I used it for there were two different times that I've used this one was a, a quiz application where at the end, the results of the quiz would end up going into mobile services. So it would ultimately go into a SQL database, as as you mentioned. And it was, I think, like two lines of code in inside the the application. And then the other one was, and this literally took me less than 15 minutes to write, my, my thermostat is a REST API. And what I did was um, I wrote a little scheduled task within mobile services. It would go pull from that that REST API, you know, the the all the latest values off my thermostat, so set points, current temperature, uh, things like that, and then it would go store them in that back end. So it makes those types of things like incredibly easy. So um, did you, you did you say you worked with the push notifications as well?
2: Uh, I have not actually had the opportunity to, to okay. put an app together with them. Um, okay. What I'm currently investigating for. One of my side apps is, uh, you can use the push notification framework with signal R and get real time streaming notifications that way. Um, so far it's, it's just impressive how easy they're making these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, just looking at, um, you know, some of the documentation for like iOS and, um, Android and Windows phone, uh, most of the tutorials they have, uh, they revolve around the setup of the individual services, not the code, the code ends up being like two lines. Right. So, you know, from a signal, perspective, you set up your notification hub and just tap into it.
0: Mm-hmm. And the two lines of code that you have to write, they actually give them to you as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You pretty much <laughs> copy paste and change the values.
0: Yeah, e- exactly. And then, uh, I, you know, I've always told people, if you want to send push notifications to, you know, windows, iOS, and Android, or even if it's just iOS and Android, uh, you know, this is just the easiest way to do it. Like it's, I, I've actually found it easier to work with than you know working with Apple because I've I've used the Apple Developer Portal, and I don't know that it it and I don't get along. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but I but the Azure portal, I love the the usability of it, and it's always you know with the documentation like you mentioned, it's always so easy to get up and running.
1: Yeah, on one of the documentation pages, I looked at. It gave you a drop down for what environment you're working on. Mm-hmm. And when I selected iOS, you could just see the, the, the scroll bar get tiny as the page just got huge. <laughs> so, yeah, there's definitely a few more steps if you're working with iOS.
0: Yeah, well, I think that part of that's the verbosity of Objective C, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, one of the options in there too, Carl, is uh, HTML pages, and I, which I think Brandon mentioned. So you can do like push notifications to HTML, which is sort of mind boggling. I mean, you could always use SignalR, like you mentioned, but uh, the fact that you can do push notifications to just people on your website, you know, you could, they could have the same subscription. They could have their phone sitting there and be on your website and you could push a notification of both of those. I, I thought that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, Brandon, you also mentioned that you were using this for authentication too. Can you explain, you know, what that means and kind of what providers can you use? Is it just Azure? Active Directory, or can you plug into some of the OAuth providers as well? Yeah. So
2: with uh, with Azure Mobile Services, it's it's pretty nice the the options they give you. And again, uh, like I said, to me, Mobile Services is just this this awesome offering from Microsoft where they wrap just all these features under under the sun that you would need uh, to get your mobile apps going. Um, and one of them being, you know, like you said, authentication. Um, so we have Facebook, Twitter, Google. Um, I believe Microsoft Accounts, and then you can also tap into um, Azure Active Directory. So, you know, if you want to build an enterprise mobile service and you want to federate your your Active Directory, now you have that as a possible authenticator. Um, and then along those same lines as well, uh, say you have something that doesn't tie into any of those, um, if you're using the .NET backend for sure, uh, and the JavaScript backend is kind of iffy on this. It's, in my opinion, more of a hack to get it working. Um, and the .NET backend, you can extend their login providers, and you could actually have mobile services be your authentication portal and write a custom authentication backend. Lots That's of flexibility.
1: Cool. Yep. Because a lot of times when you're using, like, Azure Active Directory, it is a little bit trickier to get, like, a, a full custom login page and stuff like that. And I know that's one of the reasons why in the past that uh, a client of mine has chosen not to use it because they want to control completely that look and feel and experience. So that's pretty cool.
0: Yep. So when I when I was using uh, mobile services, <clears throat> I was also um I you know I've always shown people how easy it is to actually store data. You know, you can you can obviously talk to a, a SQL database directly, but if you go through mobile services, I think it's literally one line of code to put in your token and then you can say uh, you know, give me this table and insert a record and it will automatically create the table. It'll insert the record. It'll, you know, modify the scheme on SQL. It'll do all that kind of cool stuff. So it's just, again, trying to really make it drop drop dead simple. But I noticed, and I, I haven't worked with this. So I'm kind of curious about this, that it, it talks about table storage as well. And also MongoDB. Um so do you know how to interface with those various storage options?
2: Uh the table storage one I don't I haven't seen a, a full working example, but the MongoDB mm-hmm. one, um and again, I, I guess I should reiterate it or iterated it on this in the beginning. Uh so there are the two back end options, you have.NET and JavaScript, uh which essentially right. runs on Node. Um the ultimate goal, or my understanding is, is to have feature parity between the two, at least mostly. Um, with dot net being kind of the solution that gives you a little bit more customizability um so with with mongodb um really you can just uh set up your connection string in Azure and then include the mongodb project in your dot net backend so if you're pulling down the source code um you add the mongodb and then there's like i think you have to add like a single class and then that's all it takes to use that um from the the JavaScript side, and uh, I believe I have a link I can have you guys put in the show notes for it. There's a way to do it, but um, like I said, it's it's kind of hacky, uh, but I guess it works.
1: So I would stay .NET if
2: you're interested in doing the Mongo. All
1: right. Okay. You you mentioned that you hadn't worked with notifications yet, right? Correct. Have you, Jason?
0: Uh, I have. I have set up something that barely worked. I am definitely not an expert on notif- push notifications. I've I've gone to presentations doing it. It's it's one of those things where you know, like I get it conceptually. I, I understand the, the mechanics of it, and I've um, you know, again, I've I've seen some presentations on it, but you, I think you have to do it a few times to really get some of the nuances because there's there's some tricks in there for like message formatting because there are differences in in the platform. So iOS. You know, like the actual format of the message that you send is different than on Windows phone. So if you want to format your message, um, if you want to do some something that isn't plain text, then you have to do a little bit different work for for both of those. So, I, you know, there's some there's some nuances there.
1: So it's not entirely fire and forget. If you have applications on all three of the major platforms and you want to send out a notification, you would have to do something slightly different. Or is that only for the more complex notifications?
0: No, yeah, it it can be that simple, and then you you also get the option to to do groupings. So you can you can group like um, the demonstration I saw, which was pretty cool, was you know storing you you can you can you can take your your full set of users that that have registered and uh, you know that have run your application that register for notifications, and you can associate additional metadata with them. So you could put like their zip code in there, and then what you can do is you can actually send to everybody in a certain zip code. Which mm-hmm. I think is, is kind of a, a neat idea. Or you can say, you know, people that are subscribed to this particular category of information. But whenever you actually send the data, if it if it is just something that is real simple, like I said, like like plain text, then it is just fire and forget to, to all three platforms. So you can you can also, you know, if if it's the same types of messages that you're gonna be sending to all three, you obviously in your code can can sort of have that um, you know, one class that that takes you know, your description of that data or one of those and then convert it for the other platforms. So you can, you, you know, it's however much work you want to make it, um, and how much you really want to customize it for each of those platforms.
2: So on that point, uh, so Jason, you, you mentioned about like customizing, you know, maybe like your development workflow and sending notifications. Yeah. Um, so my personal preference, just, you know, as a, as a .NET developer, if I'm using the the.net backend, um, and I'm using notification hub, which is what drives all these push notifications. Um, say I have a, another project that also wants to send push notifications. Well, in that case, it's, it's pretty trivial to build a, just a library that you're going to share between the two and then just kind of wrap that. Because from yeah. your, from your application standpoint, you're going to kind of standardize anyway, what kind of notifications you're sending. So mm-hmm. to, to kind of build a wrapper isn't really that big of a deal. It's still simple enough to interact with the service, that wrapping it is, you know, a a 20-minute project.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. The other thing that you mentioned that I had forgotten about, but I had seen an example was with that groupings. And the example that I thought was really nice, especially since it's football season here, if you had an app about that, you could say, hey, you know, if I follow like the Steelers, I can send out a notification that's, to the Steelers. And if they're playing the Falcons, I can send out that notification to just the Falcons, or I can combine that with zip code data. You know, I I only want to send this to uh green Bay Packer fans that are in green Bay. You could, you you could get really cool with some of your notifications that get sent out. It's not just, you know, the fire it to that individual person or broadcast to the entire collective.
0: Exactly. Those, those tags, I think they're called tags in there. They're, they're far more powerful than what they look like initially because you can do like a, a union of different tags and you could use that to group different versions of the application. Um, i trying to think of some of the other things, uh, you know, it could be by, um, you know, if it's a premium user versus a non-premium user or, or things like that. So it's, it, that is actually incredibly powerful. So let's uh, let's talk about SignalR. So first of all, for, for anybody who hasn't worked with SignalR, SignalR is, it's basically magic. And it, uh, the way it works is you, you end up putting a little bit of code in your, in your server application. So it's, it's, you know, it's designed for a .NET server application and that hosts a little, you know, HTTP endpoint. um, And actually it could also host like a WebSocket endpoint, but what will end up happening is you, you put a little bit of code in your client as well, and you tell it to connect to that. And now it will, it will try to make as, as, as high fidelity of a connection that it can. Uh, for real-time communication so then you can do you know you can have your client call methods on the server uh just like you could with like web api or rest but your server can also call methods on the client which I, you know gives you basically in a system of eventing and uh it it makes it so that you can do these real-time communications so easy And this thing scales up really high too um i've seen you know like tens of thousands of messages per second um so i've i've used this on a couple projects and i know you mentioned it before brandon so what is the relationship between like Signal R and mobile services?
2: Uh, you can tie them together as far as the uh, the notification hubs uh, in order to uh, so like we were talking about push notifications yeah. to instantly notify anyone that's connected to the that hub, um, mm-hmm. you want know, a you know a mobile app or you know even a, a desktop web application. So it's it's just that power and flexibility, the the magic of Signal R, yeah. where it just. It knows how to connect properly. You don't have to figure out those implementation details uh, in order to have that real-time communication from the web.
1: Now, you mentioned before that there was um, a difference between some of the stuff that's not in feature parity between the .NET and the JavaScript APIs. Can you get into maybe a little bit more deep detail with your experiences around that? And then also, is there um, any similar discrepancies with the ios and android sdks as well so from the actual
2: service offerings uh, between the net back and the javascript backend, um i would call the javascript back end more of a turnkey solution something that you can just kind of get going get off the ground and use it um so so with that all of your uh your entities and uh, you know your domain and all that stuff that's all described right from the management portal um Granted, there is a there is a developer feature in there that you can have turned on during development that when you make like your REST request and say you add a new column, quote unquote, um to your object, it'll automatically on the back end, in it in the most non-destructive way possible, extend the database for you. Um so you don't always have to be in the portal adding this stuff. It tries to do your best guess. Um But with that said, you know, it's it really is designed for at least in my experience, for simpler solutions, things that you just kind of want to get off the ground and interact with, uh, and you know, you just you just kind of want to get something there and use it. Uh, so from the .NET side, it's it's a more complex solution, but it gives you much more uh, in the area of being able to customize it. Uh, so from that, it's really just a, a glorified web API project that you pull down. And, uh, instead of inheriting from the, the usual controllers, there's a special, uh, controller that you're using. I think it's called a table controller. Um, that essentially gives you the, the normal mobile service goodness that you would expect from like the JavaScript backend. But at that same point, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, now if you need to tie in some business logic or if you want to pull in a, you know, a custom library or something like that, uh, for the .NET developer, which I tend to be most of the time, it's it's a really awesome solution to combine your existing business logic and get all of these awesome benefits that you get from mobile services like the push notifications and uh, just the awesome restful API endpoint that your mobile devices can use. So that's cool. Yeah, so that's from the service offering. From the SDK, Um, so you, you keep hearing me say Rust. I mean, that's, that's really all these APIs are. They're, they're Mm -hmm. Rustful. They're, they're meant for CRUD operations, create, read, update, destroy. Uh, so from the API offering or the, I'm sorry, the SDK offerings, um, you know, it's, they're, from what I've seen, and I've worked mostly only with the .NET SDK, um, the feature parity is mostly there because there's, there's really not a lot to, to work with. You have your basics of, you know, the, um, you know, pushing to the individual endpoints and um, pulling, but I mean, there's, there's really not a lot from the implementation side of the client. It's all rest driven.
0: Cool. Um, So let's, let's say that I have some on-prem resources, like a SQL server. Is there something I can use in mobile services to access that?
2: Yeah. So uh, it's actually incredibly easy to get going. Um, and it's, it's really slick how they're doing it. Uh, so you're using, uh, you, are using essentially BizTalk, uh, the BizTalk services. Uh, there is a free preview edition. So if anyone wants to try this out, you can give it a go. The only thing that's in BizTalk free is what they call their hybrid connections. And, uh, Azure mobile services under the configuration has a spot just for that. You can create a hybrid connection to your on-premise SQL server. And of course, assuming that your SQL server is accessible and all those normal guidelines, uh, you can point your, uh, both your .NET and your JavaScript, uh, backend mobile services straight to your on-premise SQL server. Mm-hmm. So if you want again to get all of this mobile service goodness exposed to the world, but you want a little bit more control of your actual server resources, it's a really easy way to get that going.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really neat technology and it's, unfortunate that it's hidden in uh biztalk because it it really has nothing to do with biztalk biztalk instead of uh, being kind of a product label is now sort of a, a a category of of different products so don't be you know if if you haven't used biztalk don't be afraid of the biztalk label and and go check out hybrid connections it's pretty cool it basically uses an outbound connection from, uh, you know, from an on-prem system, there's a little agent that makes an outbound connection and then it can proxy data through there so that it's super secure. You don't have to open up firewalls so you don't you don't have a, you know, an increased attack surface. It's just a nice outbound connection that that data can come back down through. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. And it's something that I really wish that hybrid connections would have been available when I was doing uh, a, a lot more of the Azure work because there was really a lot of need to have this kind of thing that we dealt with with a lot of syncing of data back and forth in and out of Azure. and oh, yeah. this, this, this would have been handy. Um, but moving on, you know, Azure Mobile Services is great to communicate with the cloud, but how do you interact with this and make an app that works well offline as well? This is where the, the SDK will kick in a bit. Um,
2: so what you can do is um, you can sync uh, using pushing and pulling uh, with your applications locally, and then uh, the Azure Mobile Services gives you the option to then, uh, if you need to update your local data to do a pull, or if you need to update data, you can do a push. Um, now, this is this is a feature that uh, I have not had the opportunity to work with yet, um, but uh, the concepts behind it are extremely straightforward. Um, I believe, like if you're doing a uh, a Windows Phone application it's just creating a small SQLite database. You're pushing mm-hmm. your stuff there. Uh, and then, like I said, it's just, it's just a matter of calling the sync when uh, your device is back online.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so well, I have one more question for you, which is now that you've used mobile services for a while, what is it missing that uh, you think should be added?
2: That's a, that's a fantastic question.
0: <laughs> um, You're just buying time. I'm just,
2: <laughs> So, uh, Working with mobile services um, has so far been a pretty decent experience. Um, I think one thing that I would like to see is, uh, so at least in the .NET SDK, uh, it seems like some of the calls to the services, even though, yes, it is a, a REST environment, um, I think they could probably be abstracted a little bit better uh, mm-hmm. to make it maybe more of like a fluent syntax for actually interacting with all these resources. Um Besides that though, as far as like a feature offering and everything that's available there, um, you know, like I mentioned a couple times, there's there's so much there that I, I haven't even touched on yet. I've used like the core mobile service offering, but you know, like I said, there's there's a huge um area with the push notifications, um, offline sync support. You can do uh, I believe you can do settings syncs, um, you can uh integrate with uh some of the Office 365 stuff. Um, like, uh, like with SharePoint, there's just so much there. And like I said, it, it really is this offering that lets you get your mobile application off the ground. As far as your back end goes, it's at this point, it's really hard to ask for much more with as much as they're offering.
0: Well, that's good to hear coming from you. So yeah, the, the, the nice thing about it as well is you can, if, if you out, you know, sort of quote unquote outgrow it. You know, if, if you don't like the the interface that's being used there, you know, like your interface to SQL, you can, in some cases, you can bypass it or you can just go use some of the other Azure services. You're never, you know, limited. It's not like this separate thing. It's really just a set of things that helps you that, that you don't have to use. Definitely. Okay. Anything else, Brandon? Otherwise, we'll move on to the Azure pick of the week.
2: No, I think that about does it.
0: Okay. So I came up with my Azure pick of the week as we were doing the show. Um, drum roll <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'm gonna pick you know azure media services this week um we did talk about you know obviously the mobile services but i'd like to i'd like to pick you know one one thing so i'm gonna pick azure media services like i mentioned that would have really helped out apple they could have used that um it's just it's a really neat service and i i actually went to a session at build not the last build but the one before that. So it was build 2013 uh, I was from uh, uh, Mingfei. She's a, a PM on the mobile services team. And she did a really good job just giving an overview of all the services. So what we'll do in the show notes is we'll link to the the uh, the video from Build of her explaining that. And she actually does a, a demo of live streaming and, and shows how easy it is to set these things up. I've actually never run into an app where I had to do live video streaming. But, um, you know, this would be a really cool technology to work with. So that's why that's my pick of the week. Uh, Carl, what uh, looks like we have a whole bunch of of the weeks. So I see I see an app of the week here. What do you got? So my
1: app of the week is Flux, and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, this is a desktop application. So it's going to run on full fledged Windows. Um, you can get it at just justgetflux.com, and what this does is it modifies the temperature or color of your monitor to be kind of in line with what the natural daylight setting would be more conducive too. So at noon, it's going to be closer to the monitor's true color. It's going to be bluer Mm -hmm. because that's what the natural daylight is like. And at night, as the sun goes down, it naturally gets a little bit redder and warmer. And especially like if you go extend that concept, if you're around a campfire, that's really red. So it just kind of keeps that with the natural color of the daytime or nighttime. And the reason why I use this is I moved uh, my monitor or my, my entire setup into its own room and with dimming lights and, you know, just trying to get it. So when I can code a little bit later into the night, but when I'm done, I'm ready for bed. Not that, cause I have noticed that, you know, having a, those multi-monitor displays shooting blue light into your face, it is a little bit harder to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've really noticed that, you know, keeping my lights dimmer a little bit warmer and having this on my monitors really help me fall asleep a little bit quicker when I'm doing my late night sessions.
0: So, so, so if I'm hearing you correctly, your approach to coding is to fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one technique, I suppose. No,
1: I, 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 normally don't have too much of a hard time falling asleep, but when I, when I am ready for bed, I just like to pass out in, in as quick as possible and that using these tools that are available to us for free you know that allows me to do this a little bit quicker.
0: Okay. So I I've I've been running this for um, I think probably about nine months. And he, here's what's interesting about it. So somebody told me, hey, go get this. It's it's really nice. And I love their tagline software to make your life better. Um, so I installed it and it it doesn't transition very slowly. It just sort of happened at a certain time. Like my screen screen color changed. I'm like, uh, okay, I don't really think that's any better. But then what I realized was um after using it for a while, you know I I still didn't think of anything of it. But I I I have a laptop sitting in front of me, or I actually it's my Surface Pro three, and I didn't have it installed on there. And I was looking at the screen on my uh, uh, you know my desktop for a while, and then I looked down at the Surface Pro three, and I'm like, ah, I can't take it. So you really don't even know like the full effect of it until you see that contrast. And this it really is so much easier on your eyes, and in until you turn it off when it's when it's warming up the screen, do you actually notice like, you know, how, how good of a thing this is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mm-hmm. will absolutely agree with that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's so, good.
1: So as a bonus um, this week, this is just something I've had an absolute wonderful time with this week is I, I'm making It's called a,
0: obsession, Carl.
1: Yes. I'm obsessed. It's my man crush. <laughs> um, it's I'm calling it the Dev tool of the week. It's a project called side waffle and this is absolutely cool. It does a few things. So out of the box, you install Sidewaffle and it'll give you a bunch more project templates and item templates and snippets that you can just code with. They have them for just a variety of open source things. So new Angular controller or just all sorts of stuff. But the other thing that's really cool is they have a video on on their website at Sidewaffle.com um, that's through YouTube. And it shows you how you can use Sidewaffle to create your own project templates. So I make a lot of Windows Phone apps. And as a developer, I kind of always make an about page. I always have a few uh, classes of custom code that make it easier for me to interact with certain things. I do default theming things just as a whole within my own applications. It would be nice instead of me having to copy paste them all the time to just do file new project. And what's really cool about that is when you have this set up, you do file new project, you give it the project name, the project name gets put everywhere it needs to be, you know, the projects are set up as they should and you're literally almost halfway done in the case of a simple mobile app. And how you do this is you create your own project from scratch in code first. And then um, you add this Sidewaffle project or a Visix project. So you need the Visual Studio extension SDK as well. And Sidewaffle on there will turn your project into a Visix template, which then you can install and uh, be able to select that as file new project.
0: This is pretty cool. I didn't realize you could use this for uh, item templates as well. uh,
1: Yes, you can do item templates as well. For me, I'm just having such a crush with the project templates. It's awesome. Yeah, but And like I said, they give you a, a whole bunch out of the box, like a uh, Nancy um, Google Chrome theme or extension, a Calborn micro and WPF application, um, just in for the item templates, like an AngularJS directive or a test spec, um, Durandal yeah. uh, view models. I mean, just, there's just so much stuff that it has. It even has like a humans.txt file that you can just generate that quick. I mean, there's so much in there that they've done out of the box already.
0: Okay. Yeah, because two days ago, I I needed a uh, a web API project just for web API. I didn't need all the help pages. I did not need all the uh, the MVC functionality. And I sat there just ripping everything out, and I ended up with like three files in the end. It probably would have been easier just to start with a blank project and add in web API. But uh, this this would have been great for that if there was a you know if somebody created a template that's just like I just want the most basic thing to, to create a web API.
1: And, and it literally takes, once you have your code set up the way you want it, five minutes to turn it into a fully installed uh, project template. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely would have helped you. You could have at least done it so you could create it in the future again and again.
0: Right, but probably what's more exciting is the templates in here are, I mean, this is built by some really smart guys who, you know, like John Papa, he does a lot of work around trying to standardize, you know, AngularJS, and not, not change AngularJS itself, but like, hey, here here's a nice way to lay out your project so that you can sort of maintain sanity and we can, if somebody looks at your project, they can understand what's going on. So the fact that this, you know, it sort of has that built in is is pretty handy, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to be using this as one of my secret weapons in my toolkit.
0: Yeah. Well, now you told everybody, though, so it's just your weapon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, what else? We got? Any other tools of the week or not? That's all we got?
1: Nope, that's all we have No this more week. apps of the
0: week? <laughs> Our person of the week is Brandon. Anyway, so moving on here. So plug. So Brandon, where can people find you and your awesome stuff?
2: Uh, well, brandonmartinez.com is a great place to start. Uh, okay. And actually, I link to almost all my other social medias and such. Um, otherwise, follow me on Twitter, at Martinez.
0: Okay. You can find me on ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash Like I mentioned earlier, you can, uh, if you can come up with the next, uh, killer app for the watch, I, I want to hear your ideas, send it to us. Uh, we're not going to copy the idea. Well, I guess I can't promise that, but I, we have no intention <laughs> on copying the idea, but we'll send you a gift certificate. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll tell everybody on the show, uh, Carl, what, uh, what else we got going on for the show here?
1: Be sure to subscribe to us by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Um visit us at msdevshow.com. show.com. You can leave comments on the post. Also check out our links and show notes and you can find out a bunch of stuff there. Uh, send your comments and feedback to feedback at dot show.com and be sure to leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your favorite podcast aggregator of choice. Um, you can also find me at wpdevguy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer.
0: Perfect. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It was great talking to you.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: And anytime you want to come on, just let us know.